stop Ouija. I don't have enough arcane power. Where am I needed? I need fury, not enough hatred. Resupply here! Spawn more overlords. They're taking the point! I can't for me! Yes! Victory! Greetings, friends and fellow gamers. Welcome to this episode of Not Enough Resources, a bi-weekly gaming podcast hosted on roguesportal.com. My name is Ryan. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan M. Holt and pretty much every gaming platform under the same handle. You can also follow the podcast at NER Podcast on Twitter. And of course, we're always looking for suggestions, things you guys want to talk about, things you want to hear about. This week is very special, though, because not only am I joined by my illustrious and ever- ever-efficient co-host Dylan, we have a special guest as well. Dylan, why don't you introduce yourself, and then we'll get to our special, special guest. Uh, hello, uh, my name is Dylan, and I do this podcast, and it's really great, and uh, I'm glad to be here. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us and introducing our lovely guest this week. It is Stacy from Rogue's Portal as well. He is the producer and host of Fanboy Power Hour. You can find them on Twitter at Fanboy Power Hour. They mostly talk about comics, pop culture, things like that. Stacy, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Happy to be on the show. Hello, everyone. And welcome to an episode not of the Fanboy Power Hour. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to dive right in with what everybody's been playing. Dylan, what are you now playing? So I have been super ill for the majority of this week. And I picked up Borderlands 2 again and played a, a couple hours of that while I, I could in between the sickness and got down with the good old shoot 'em up, uh, collect 'em all Borderlands 2. It was uh, quite fun. Good, good game to revisit, worth revisiting, I thought. It uh, definitely is not as fun single player. I, I played most of my time on that game multiplayer when I last played it, but still a, a nice game worth a revisit for sure. What platform were you playing on? I know that game has been released for pretty much every platform under the sun. So I was playing on Xbox 360, which was very awkward. I haven't picked up a traditional controller for a shooter in a long time. I'm usually playing shooters on, on PC, and so that was a little awkward to get used to, especially I was playing the the sniper class, the uh, the stealth class, and so that was different. But um, I, I mean, it was still a blast. And as soon as I got used to it, I had to turn those uh, control what's the word sensitivity down. They were they were a bit too high. And uh, Stacy, as our guest, I would also like to know what have you been playing? I know it's probably something that Dylan and I haven't touched yet, so I'm sure we have a bunch of questions for you. Okay, sure. Uh, I have recently finished the entirety of both the uh, main storyline as well as the playable epilogue of Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, I've just finished playing it, and it 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 is a gorgeous game. Absolutely stunning. Um, it's pretty amazing. I picked it up kind of on a whim. I'd played the first Red Dead Redemption and absolutely loved it. But when I saw that there was a sequel, it literally came out of nowhere for me because I'm pretty far from the bleeding edge of gamerdom. So when I realized it was out, I immediately snatched it up and just devoured it. I'm a huge Western fan. So, yeah, the, the game is is a pretty powerful experience overall. Um, what platform are you playing on? Uh, I'm playing on the PlayStation 4, just a standard PlayStation 4, standard 1080p television, and it is breathtakingly gorgeous. You said that you you really like westerns. Is 
is that what initially drew you to it? I know both Dylan and I are, I would like to say, pretty well-versed in film. And I know that the first Red Dead kind of grabbed bits and pieces of kind of like cowboy lore and tropes. And does this do the same thing, or is it kind of expanding on that a bit? It's interesting. The first Red Dead Redemption was very much kind of a, an homage a uh, slightly hyper-accelerated version of what I would call the Leon Spaghetti Westerns, shot through like a Robert Rodriguez machete prism. And that was really fun, really enjoyable. Um, I'm a huge Western fan from way back. My dad was a, was a big fan. My grandmother was. I, I got into it through them. Um, it's, it's interesting to see Red Dead Redemption 2 as a sequel in that it's, it's got a lot of those elements. You can tell the DNA is there, but it's interesting in that Rocksteady, a, a company that's not really known for it, is trying to kind of explore a little more depth with the game. It's a little less over the top and bat, uh, batty insane, but it's it's definitely a it's definitely an interesting experience overall. Are you referring to the nuance in I, I'm aware that you have to eat, your, or your your character can be overweight or underweight uh, depending on the lifestyle that you sort of choose or is this depth of of story and um the character it's interesting in that there is there's a certain level of intricacy and realism like there are elements where you have to eat you have to keep up with your horse you have to maintain your weapons that sort of thing but what's interesting about this one is that it's not quite as as gonzo over the top the story that they're actually trying to tell is and again, it's it's rock steady. So whether or not they stick the landing depends on your perspective. But they are trying to tell a more, I would say, kind of introspective story of what it means to be an outlaw at the turn of the century, what it means to have the encroachment of civilization, and what it means, what loyalty, what uh, what this kind of code of the outlaw of the old west really means. And in their exploration of it, it's a much more like, the first Red Dead Redemption had some moments of introspection and definitely some touching moments to it. But I would say, overall, this game has a bit more depth than the original. What do you mean by that, like, depth? I know, like, the big thing with Red Dead that I've seen as far as the advertising um, is concerned is, like, you play this cowboy, outlaw, what have you, and you build, like, this gang almost, like, this crew. Does mm-hmm. it, like... To me, that just reads like the Magnificent Seven, Seven Samurai. Like, does it feel kind of like that? Or is it more just kind of like it's so open world, it doesn't really follow a set DNA, so to speak? Um, well, for the most part, you are a member of the Vanderlyn Gang, the Dutch Vanderlyn Gang from the first uh, game. Uh, you are a member of the name of Arthur Morgan. You were basically raised by Dutch Vanderlyn and his co-founder of the gang, a gentleman by the name of Hosea Matthews, and you start out in this crew, and you start out, and it's kind of interesting to see the start of darkness that gets the character of Dutch from this point where he is a somewhat more idealistic, more compassionate, at least seeming figure, to the essentially broken wreck of the first game, that he's just become a total madman. Um, there are some interesting character beats with Arthur Morgan, depending on how you play him. He can be very much a self-interested, complete and utter monster, or you can play him as essentially a conflicted man, depending on the honor mechanic that's built into the story. Now, having said that, stick a pin in that, because 
you know, with the good comes some of the bad, and overall the game's experience is positive, but I do have some thoughts on that. The characterization in the game is much more deep because you get a chance to bond with these people. The first game was much more of an experience of just being inside John Marston's head and, you know, his recollections of the gang and seeing the gang members that you hunt down as essentially these over-the-top stereotypes. But in the second game, you're actually given a chance to get to know them as people, and you really come to understand the tragedy inherent in the first game. And, sorry, just, uh, I'm, I'm pretty unfamiliar with the first game. I, I picked it up. Uh, my roommate in college had it, and he let me play it for a couple of hours, and I got to the poker table and spent the majority of those hours playing virtual poker. What is the, the tragedy of, of the first game? Well, in the first game, it's set during uh, the early uh, Edwardian era. It's set in 1911, so the Wild West is essentially over with. You play the character of John Marston, who's an ex-outlaw that's been recruited by essentially the proto-FBI to hunt down and bring in the members of his old gang. Uh, John has attempted to go straight uh, with his, uh, his wife and son, but they're being held by these agents, and essentially a sword of Damocles is hanging over them, uh, unless John goes and hunts down all the members of his old gang, eventually building to Dutch Vanderland himself, who essentially raised John and brought him up. Uh, as you go through the game, you pretty much realize that most everybody in the game is, is not an entirely great person. I mean, John has his sins and whatnot, but the government agents are far from noble. In fact, one of the characters you will grow to outright despise is one of the government agents, a man by the name of Edgar Ross. And by the end of it, I don't want to spoil anything, but it is a pretty tragic game about the self-perpetuating cycle of violence, retribution, revenge, and redemption. So you said, uh, you had mentioned earlier that there was some bad. One thing that turned me off from Red Dead, aside from ethical concerns, was I played Red Dead Redemption 1, and I was just kind of, like, miffed and not happy about a bunch of the things. Like, you would go to hunt, like, a deer. You'd kill the deer, and every time you would loot, you would have to watch this, like, 20-second cutscene of him cutting open the carcass and taking the meat, and, like, blood would splash on the screen. But it would take 20 seconds, and after you saw it once, you didn't have the ability to skip it. To me, it kind of, like, interrupted the flow of game. I also kind of have this theory about Rockstar specifically Red Dead Redemption, Grand Theft Auto, they do a bunch of stuff in these games just good enough. Not great, but just good enough. And then when you put it all together, it forms a complete package. How is Red Dead Redemption 2 different than that? Um, well, if you hated the hunting skinning sequence in the first game, uh, I got some bad news. That 20 seconds turns into about 45 to 60 uh, skinning some of these animals, but the game does take into effect, uh, into account that you'll get frustrated with it at some point. So I, I initially did the tutorial level, like the first couple levels of the game are the tutorial level where you learn to shoot, you learn to hunt with a bow, you learn to track your anim these animals by scent and whatnot. Uh, but I had a life to live in the game, so, you know, if I needed to go and quote-unquote hunt for meat, I would just usually go into town to a butcher and buy the meat to contribute to the camp, rather than, you know, knock my head against a wall. 
Um, in terms of other frustrations, I feel that the honor mechanic, while serviceable in the game, uh, as I mentioned, I, I think in the Twitter uh, post that kind of launched my invitation to, to your uh, fine program here, I mentioned that the honor mechanic, while good, had more potential to affect the story than I think that Rockstar uh, allowed. Um, I do feel that it's functional and does allow for a great ending for the story they wanted to tell, and by no means do I want to denigrate the story that they told. I felt it was really good, but, you know, as a writer, as a scenarist, you can't help but think of a couple different things, and, you know, I felt that there were a couple ways that they could have gone through it. Also, sometimes the game is a little too clever for its own good. There is, if you're tired of of constantly having to hold down the X button or tap the X button to speed up the horse, there is an option where on the PlayStation, if you hold down the center button, like that big panel, it will go into a cinematic mode that allows you to essentially let the game take the autopilot and go through, you know, the route that you set for it, like the, the waypoint, and it'll provide a very breathtaking experience. It looks really cool. If you're sitting near the television and you need to get a drink or a cup of tea, you can do that, uh, but don't take your eye off the game for too long because the autopilot is not that intuitive, and if you are attacked or if something is in the way and it can't automatically get out of the way, there were points in the game where I would hear a sickening crunch from my kitchen and come back to see that my horse had gone into a complete barrel roll, my character had flown through space and was now on the ground, and the aggrieved other horseman that I had hit was now trying to shoot my character's head off. So the game has its flaws. I am glad to see that they stole that from Assassin's Creed Origins, glitches and all, because that game has that exact same problem. But it's really cool when you hit the autopilot and don't have to watch, like don't have to control it. Oh, definitely. And I, and I do. I want to go back a little bit to the the story aspects. There's uh, a little bit of controversy over how this game was made in terms of time put into it uh, by the employees and workers' rights and some things like that versus the cost of the game. And, uh, I mean, it's obviously made money. And do you think that there were resources put elsewhere that could have been put into flushing that out? Uh, When I I think about these games and and how they're made, I, I try to think in terms of they had a set number of resources to use even if they push those resources to the upper limit, they can't do everything. Was there an obvious place where, well, why'd they do that? That was a waste. They could have spent more time here. Um, I do feel that the game is visually breathtaking. It is well put together, and, and the elements of the game that stand out, both visually in terms of sound, in terms of the soundtrack, there are some absolutely gorgeous pieces of music. The voice acting is all top-notch. Uh, I can't help but feel, though, that the storyline is very linear. Like much, like many Rockstar games, there are a number of side quests that are fun. Um, you can run into all manner. You can run into a Nikola Tesla analog trying to bring a robotic creation to life. You can you can stalk a vampire on the streets of Saint Denis, which is like a New New Orleans. Uh, stand in you can uh, you can hunt for dinosaur bones you can you can hunt down bounties and and you know boost your good karma that way i do feel as i mentioned earlier i do feel that if there was one thing that was bugging me 
It's that the honor mechanic doesn't really allow you to do much except give you one of two binary-ending choices. And as I mentioned in my uh, in the Twitter conversation uh, that I had on my uh, my timeline, it just would have been interesting to see the character of Arthur Morgan actually attempt to get quote unquote redemption by the standards of the society. Whereas if your honor is high enough at a point in the game, the game would break off Paragon Renegade style. Uh, mass effect and allow you to seek some redemption like there's a woman in his past that arthur could reconnect with and he could become a deputy u.s marshal or have a fox and the hound relationship with the character of john marston where they have this friendship and the reason that arthur's name is never mentioned in this in the first game is that their friendship depending on your choices was either too painful because you let him go or it's just a source of cold fury because you're the monster that pointed Edgar Ross to John Marston, depending on your choices. I feel that the story as it is is okay, but there was a potential to go further. Do you think overall Red Dead Redemption 2 was worth what Rockstar was saying with 100-hour work weeks and no overtime pay and everybody is counting on this game to do gangbusters, which it's doing, um for proper compensation for the work they put in, do you think that's fair? Do you think it's worth it? Like, is does that product does the product reflect that? The product certainly reflects that there's a lot of work put into it, and everyone on that team, you know, given all the crap that they had to endure, should be more than amply compensated. But at no point should any of these workers been in uh, been in that position. You know, AAA games and games of this type. Um, they should definitely treat all their employees like literal, pun intended, rock stars and give them the compensation that they're due because this game, top to bottom, and my little nitpicks here and there aside, uh, it is a quality item. It is, it is, it is as close to Westworld 1.0 as we could probably hope to get in the world that we live in today. And I think that, is it, is it beautiful? Yes. Is it well put together? Yes. Did it deserve to have its staff treated that way? The the, the entire creation production team? No. With that being said, I, I want to kind of uh, kind of segue into Ryan. What what have you been been playing? Um, I've I've heard that you're you've been joined in and plugged into probably the most hated game out there right now. Yeah. Um. And I love it. I, I've been playing some Fallout 76, and it's really interesting, Stacy, hearing you talk about like Red Dead Redemption and like the hunting aspects and the open worldness of it. Because Fallout 76 has a lot of that going for it too. Um, Fallout 76, unlike Fallout 4, Fallout 3, New Vegas, all of that, has like hunger and thirst meters that you have to constantly be like aware of it's not to the point where it's detrimental unless it gets like really really low but it's something that you kind of have to like keep in the back of your head so it's really interesting that you bring all of that up and it's it's really weird dylan i've been having this conversation with a bunch of people lately because everybody's asking like oh my gosh like that i hear that game's really buggy i hear it's really bad everything like that and um i'm actually really enjoying it i don't know so I, I have a couple of questions here about about this, specifically on Fallout 76, as well as with Red Dead Redemption 2. It just kind of, this is more of a develop, developer type questions. Specifically with Fallout 76, I think a lot of people are upset and they don't like the game 
And one of the things that they point to for their dislike is the bugginess. And I, I feel like they've never played another Fallout game when they say that. Or, um, I mean, the Skyrim, for example. Like, part of what makes those games so fun, at least when I was playing them, was your ability to use those bugs to create just ridiculous scenarios. And so, I like, a lot of people are complaining about the bugs. I feel like the root of the problem is still in a misunderstanding of what Fallout 76 is. And, which leads me to, is is that problem, do you think it was marketed as the next Fallout game in the Fallout series? Or do you think it was marketed as this multiplayer Fallout 76 game and people just decided to ignore that? Like, who's who's at fault there for this kind of group hate, this, this Reddit circle thread of hate on it? So... I think part of it is that people want mainline games. I think this is part of the problem with Diablo Immortal, too, is people want... You, you can't deviate too much from your established brand, so to speak, right? Like, we all say, like, oh, man, I can't wait for the next Avengers movie. But, like, those movies are pretty by the numbers, and that's by design, right? Those movies are by design, you know, Iron Man's going to show up. He's going to do a cool thing with the suit of armor. He's going to have quippy one-liners with Cap. Like, that is how those movies are designed, and that is what we as audience members come to expect, right? With Fallout 76 in particular, I think people expect, oh, it has the name Fallout attached to it. I really want it to be, you know, kind of like this brainchild of, like, Fallout 4 and Fallout and Fallout New Vegas, and just I want it to be the next iteration of the thing that I love. So, do you think it's just it's not different enough from like Halo to Halo Wars? I mean, Halo Wars is very, very different game, but it's just set in the Halo universe, and which is Fallout seventy six to me. It's a different game. I wouldn't look at it. I would consider Fallout seventy six the same type of game as Stardew Valley or. Don't starve together. Whereas Fallout Four, I wouldn't compare those games at all. And so I, I, I just this this expectation versus reality thing, it, it I'm bugged, bothered by it, I guess. Um, and that's, I don't know. I'm I'm hoping somebody can can give me a better understanding of that feeling that people have. Well, so here's the thing I will say about Fallout seventy six with any game with Red Dead with Spider Man with uh, World of Warcraft with Overwatch with League of Legends, any of these games we play because we are in the year of our Lord 2018, these games, when they come out look completely different two weeks later three weeks later, four weeks later, like Smash Brothers right, is coming out next Friday. Hive City Yeah, I'm super excited for it, I can't wait. There's already been like a confirmation that there's going to be a day one patch that's going to change some stuff like, games are fluid now, and I think games being fluid has kind of warped expectations of what a game is and what a game can be. So, gamers have an expectations of this is what I want out of a game, this is what I want the game to be, Fallout 76, Diablo, whatever, right? And the thing with developers are seeing is developers are seeing that these products that they're putting out, these experiences they're crafting that they're making 
are ultimately malleable. You can change it. Um, you know, Stacy, you were talking about the honor system in Red Dead. Well, what if they put in a patch that, you know, made it feel good to be more bad or something like that? Like, all of that is within the realm of possibilities now. Games look completely different two years from after they launch than when they do on release date. And, like, even Fallout 76 has already had some huge, huge problems. I know you mentioned, like, oh, like, it's a Bethesda game. Of course it's buggy. Come on. What were you guys expecting? But, like, they're already making changes. One thing that drives me nuts right now is each player has, like, a private stash that you can, like, dump all of your junk and all of your items. And it only holds 400 pounds worth of stuff. And you can get 400 pounds worth of stuff in about 20 minutes of gameplay, 25 minutes of gameplay. So right now, a lot of it is you're kind of trying to figure out this kind of what I call stash math to figure out the best way to optimize your inventory so you can put all of the stuff that you need to in your private player inventory while still carrying around enough stuff on your person to be good in combat or hunting and things like that. It's, it's a very, very weird game. I'm only about level 20. Uh, yeah, let me let me preface my comments here by saying that I haven't played um, I haven't played uh, you know Fallout 76. I haven't gotten into that. Um, but let me just preface this by saying that um, I played Fallout 3 and I enjoyed it a great deal. Um, I had I had a lot of fun with the game as a whole. And I enjoyed it. It was it was an RPG game that had some shooter elements, and that was pretty cool. Uh, and then I played Fallout 4, and that was interesting in that while a lot of the lore was maintained, it was now a shooter with RPG elements. Now, I can't speak for Fallout 76, but from what I see, it is, it is essentially a multiplayer... Uh, experience and from what I've you know seen online and experience it's largely uh, dependent upon the players to kind of be the impetus and move through uh, there aren't a lot of NPCs except for th- these you know hollow tapes and the robots and the impetus is a, a lot on the on the players to essentially craft the world and I do believe Ryan you had some good points about games being malleable but I remember to this day at the conference when that when the gentleman specifically said that it was multiplayer exclusive. That was a death knell in my ears because in the main, while I have groups in multiplayer that I've played with and enjoyed, the multiplayer experience as a whole has been not great for me. And uh, I, I I pulled away, and that's 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 contributed a great deal to my reticence to pick up the game. I mean, you can have a good group, and no doubt you can have many a fun adventure in it. But I do feel that these these games that are released, and like you said, it is a Bethesda game, it is buggy. But with these sort of things where they release the game with all these, you know, I've seen enough video footage online of the game's issues to be concerned, and definitely looking at you know, online sales and how the price has, has just plummeted through the floor. You know, I do feel that we run a risk when we say the game experiences like these are malleable, that we are essentially allowing them off the hook to release games. Like, I, I could tell you stories about Mass Effect Andromeda when I picked up that game. Oh, my Lord. Like, I will never pre-order a game ever again. Like, Mass Effect had more bugs than the entire Aliens franchise. 
Yeah, no, and I agree with that. And I think that's part of why people are pissed. And they should rightfully be so, but I, I want to go back to that point you were making about, like, oh, it's a multiplayer experience, and, like, immediately fans rioted, and they were like, oh, that's not what we want in our Fallout. But, like, it's weird. I ran into a bunch of people playing the game just normal, like, the first three days. And once you get past, like, that initial tutorial zone... The map is so big, you just kind of like, oh, there's an interesting point over there on my compass. It looks like a farm. I'm going to go look at that farm. And then you look at something else. And then you look at something else. And then everybody just ends up so spread out that you don't really interact with people a lot. And, like, it's really weird that they are shipping this and marketing this as this is a multiplayer experience. Other players are there, but... They don't contribute much once you get out of the tutorial out of the tutorial zone. Maybe that changes in the end game once you hit level cap and you have to start like fighting harder monsters and probably need groups for them. But like in the solid mid game where I'm at, I haven't ran into a person or intentionally teamed up with a person in probably four or five days. It's very weird that they call it a multiplayer game. That's that's the point I want to end on. It's very weird that they call it a multiplayer game. Now, can I just uh, jump in here for a second? All right, Stacy, what do you got? Okay, so my point of uh, the point that I'd like to address is: here's the thing about Fallout seventy six. I think that Fallout seventy six gets a lot of ire because, like you were saying earlier, fans have expectations about certain genres. I think Neil Gaiman had a great quote where he said, "I think it was in the People versus George Lucas, the documentary." Uh, fans just would like more of the same thing they had before, please, and can you keep that coming? I can't help but feel that if Fallout 76 had been tailored into some DLC for Fallout 4 or something like that, it would be getting a lot less flack, a lot less of the ire, because I think people now, when they hear the term Fallout as a game and as a setting, they have expectations in their mind of the intricate story of three or the nonstop kind of gonzo over the top action of four. Whereas with 76, it seems to be taking its time with a more controlled and measured pace, which might be throwing some people off. Like you said, it's being touted with these, these, you know, advertisements about being able to go anywhere you want, do anything you want, rain down nuclear fire if you want. And I feel that in their efforts, in their advertising campaign to be all things to all people, they've kind of done themselves a disservice. Yeah, absolutely. I would 100% agree with that. And the big one is they have that live-action commercial out that has, like, everybody playing together and, you know, dropping bombs to fight giant scorch beasts and things like that. And that does exist. You can, like, drop nukes. But the problem is, is on top of all of this, right, the, the spread-outness of the map, the fact that I haven't ran into another player in, like, five days... Things like that. One big, big problem with it is the that you're not connected to a dedicated persistent server. You're just connecting to like an open kind of match, so to speak. That's the easiest way I can think to describe it. So if you are playing the game and somebody drops a nuke and it's like right on top of where you need to go for a quest, all you need to do is like pause log out, log back in, and it'll drop you into another instance of the world where that didn't happen. So because you can just kind of, like, 
quit out when anything doesn't go your way or if you're like waiting for a rare spawn or things like that and just load up in a different instance of the same map this whole like idea of oh we want players to craft their own story and things like that kind of comes across as a joke because you can't really do that like when they initially pitched it as a multiplayer game and they said there will be no npcs if you want to be a dick and you want to be the king of the raiders and uh, attack other people's settlements and be the big man on campus you can do that but the problem is in reality if somebody is attacking me and trying to take all of my stuff all i have to do is pause log out and log back in and i won't have to deal with that person ever again so it kind of feels really half-baked in that idea as well see it, it sounds like dedicated server space that allows it needed like that for players to feel like they were manipulating a world very similar to what was the game planet side 2 i believe yeah planet side planet side so once players figured out that oh if i have if i join a clan of 20 30 other players then this game is incredibly fun but because i can affect the outcome of of this entire planet on planet side and it feels like maybe fallout 76 is missing that feeling of so i mean it's it's fun you're enjoying it playing it solo uh, I think a lot of people thought it would be me and my friends are going to run around and do stuff, and if we're good at it, we'll run into other people in their groups of friends, and we'll steal their stuff, or they'll steal our stuff, and that'll create this kind of uh, that that'll create our, our our own story in in these interactions, and that's missing. But I I don't know. I, I do. I think it either it it needs either one of two things. It needs a dedicated persistent server that you're connected to at all times, right? Whether you load in, load out, or it needs a smaller map. It needs one of the two. Yeah, I think I do think that also the map was designed for what should have been a larger player base, but it was just poorly executed on release, mark poorly marketed and. That player base is just not there. I think is is a lot of the problem, but no, it's 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 different than that. So each map that you load up, it's only thirty people, and it's thirty mm. people in an open world that's the size of. I mean, to compare it to other games would be like um, the size of Egypt in Assassin's Creed Origins. Or, Could you like th- these are huge open worlds? It takes. 20 minutes to, to get anywhere. Double it or triple like the player size on that map. Do you need 60 players, 90 players? Um if I was a guessing man, I'd say probably somewhere around 150. I mean, honestly, at that point if you're adding more players to these instanced maps, I would add more players and then pare it down instead of adding like 10, 20 at a time. I would start higher and then go lower instead of just doing like tiny little increments. Yeah. Well, and, and like we've talked about, that's possible. Yeah. They've already said that they're making changes to the stash. Um, next week, it'll be patched to go up to 600 pounds instead of 400. Not a lot, but the main problem they're running into with people kind of being um, evil, so to speak, is people will go into their stash, pull out 400 pounds worth of items, drop it on the ground, and it'll crash the server. Lovely. That's a good time. Now, do we think the reason that this map was so large was they were thinking that more people were going to implement the 
I understand there's like a community crafting system where you can build enclaves and and build bases. Did they think that did they think that they were going to have enough people to really get communities off the ground? I honestly don't know based on the design because the other part of this is if I start building a camp, right, which is like that mobile home kind of like mobile workshop from Fallout 4 where you can build stuff around it. If I start building a camp and I log out, that entire camp logs out with me. So if I'm building a base and I'm like, you know, four or five other guys are with me, whatever, and we're like trying to build, quote unquote, a city, and I'm the guy running the hospital, if I log out, there's no hospital. Like, none of this stuff is permanent. It all goes with your character when you log out. So, like, I honestly don't know what their plan was with that, because unless I'm sitting down and playing... 8, 10, 12 hours at a time. If I'm just playing in one, two hour spurts, like nothing I do has any consequence at all. And in that case, it feels really empty as well. Ugh. Okay, I have one question, and this question is going to make or break the purchase, Ryan. So, so here we go. Is it true that there are microtransactions in the game? Yes, absolutely. It's 2018. Every game has microtransactions. They are optional. Uh... They are optional, I will say that, and they are all 100% cosmetic, it's not pay to win. Um, You don't have to, and you can actually farm a healthy amount of the not real world currency pretty easily. They have like daily tasks and weekly tasks that you can complete, and if you complete those, you'll get, you know, 200, or you'll get 20, 30 atoms, and most items in the shop cost about 200, so if you do dailies, like... It's it's inconsequential. I'm never going to put money into it beyond my initial purchase. You know, it's it's all cosmetics. And some of the daily quests and weekly quests are actually pretty fun. Like, the week of Thanksgiving, it said, prepare five feasts. And a feast was, you had to make turkey, you had to make mac and cheese, you had to make a pie. And you had to do those three items, you had to craft them five separate times. You had to make five feasts total. And, like, it's fun little stuff like that. But it has no bearing on gameplay at all. It's my power armor is red instead of default steel gray or whatever. Fair enough. It's just from what I've seen, a lot of that uh, DLC, a lot of that uh, microtransaction stuff, the cosmetic stuff, looked like stuff you could just do from jump in in Fallout 4, which initially turned me right off. Um, I will say for Red Dead Redemption, too, there there is some DLC. There are a couple of, like, horses and exclusive outfits you can get, but so far it hasn't been... There hasn't been any microtransactions or anything like that. They are field testing the online beta, so I'll be dipping my toe in that water. But so far, Rockstar has actually been pretty good about that. And uh, much like with Insomniac's Spider-Man game, there's DLC, but it's not intrusive or anything like that, which I appreciate. So moving on to that, since you mentioned uh, both Red Dead and Spider-Man, which are both up for a bunch of awards, um, let's move into news Uh, The big thing is there are two gaming award shows coming up. Uh, The first one is Jeff Keighley's Game Awards, which is one of my favorite nights in gaming every single year. He does a great job, puts on a great show, touts out some really good uh, awards, excuse me, touts out some really good awards, has great guests, reveals new games, things like that. And then um, there's this new one called the Gamer's Choice Awards, where you kind of like go to like it's it's like the people's choice awards but it's the gamers choice awards and 
I don't know how I feel about those. So I just want to just dive in full throttle here. Like, what do you guys think some of the best games of the year are? Do you think some of these categories are whack? Let's just dive in. Dylan, I know there are a lot of esports categories in the Gamers' Choice Awards. Did you notice anything? Did anything stand out, like, as a question mark there? There's a lot of things. Um, one of the major things for me, like, the first thing, my first thing when I started looking at specifically the Gamers' Choice Awards, and then I also noticed it in the Game Awards, is I feel like they're doing too many different things. There, it, there should be, a, like, esports should have their own, they do have their own. Uh, awards and I think that gaming like these sort of awards should be focused on games themselves not necessarily personalities and streamers and esports and uh, other things and that's just my personal opinion I think that it's way too much to have how many categories however many categories that I saw here versus having just focusing on, like, what was the best game of the year? What was the best action game of the year? What was the most innovative game of the year? And that's another thing that kind of has bothered me, is, is I, when I look at, like, the fan favorite game for Gamer's Choice, and I look at Game of the Year for the Game Awards, is, and that was kind of my question on it for you guys, do you think it should be, like, do you think the winner should be the most innovative, or should it be like, the game that sold the most copies. Like, should Avengers be in the Oscars for Best Picture um, for, for like, this upcoming year? It's basically my question. Uh, no, but Black Panther definitely should be. But I get what you're saying. I totally get what you're saying. And I think this is where the Game Awards, the one done by Jeff Keighley, right, is voted on by fans and then the industry pundits kind of take that into consideration when they cast their final votes, right? Gamer's Choice Award is straight up log in, vote, right? So anybody can do it, and you can do it multiple times if you have different email addresses. Like, it's silly. Um, and I think there's definitely some legitimacy to both routes as far as how you set awards and how you gather accolades for your product and i do think that's a very interesting question as far as for a game of the year do you go with the most well-polished game or do you go with you know the one that's going to change the space in five years right and i think that's that's a really really tough question so tough throw throw another movie like the most recent best picture academy awards from, from this last year um i i watched all of those films and a lot of them could win for one of those two reasons: three billboards, and um, I'm forgetting the fish movie, Shape of Water. Uh, yeah, Shape of Water. Thank you. Both both were were innovative, I thought, and kind of pushed film forward. Where Darkest Hour is one of the greatest biopics I've ever seen. It's it's up there with Lincoln and, and um, some others, and so it's it's kind of with games it's a little bit different because I, I do look at Redemption 2 being on the list and it's a sequel and it's not like it's changing games but from some other perspectives versus some of the other games on the list like Spider-Man to me it, that game could have come out the same way 
years ago and been the same game. It's an excellent game, but I don't think it was innovative in, in, in any regard. I just think it was perfectly executed, which is fantastic and wonderful. Like, I love that. But what's the difference between a perfectly executed game and a game that's that's trying to do something different or, or change a genre or, or change things? Well, and I think that's very interesting because when you look at when you look at the triple A game space, right? Your your Fallout seventy sixes, your Red Dead Redemptions, your Spider Mans, right? Like most of those are you know, there's financial investment behind them through investors that want to see a return on their product. They don't give two craps about, oh, if it wins Game of the Year. If it wins Game of the Year, it's going to, like, sell more. But, like, Red Dead Redemption 2 could have been the biggest turd in the world and still would have sold millions upon millions of copies, right? And I think where you get that distinction is the indie space versus the AAA space because you have indie creators trying so much stuff. And I also think, like, if you look in the VR space as well, there's a lot of cool stuff in VR that you just can't do on a traditional console or PC game that is pushing the boundaries of what, like, interactivity in your media is about. So, Stacy, did you get a chance to look over these nominees? Because I was reading the Game Awards and... I'm super excited for the Game Awards because I like Jeff Keighley and I like all of the stuff he puts out. And they're kind of like the Oscars of uh, gaming. You know, everybody shows up dressed a little nicer than normal. Um, but I'm seeing, like, the same three games over and over again. Yeah, it does feel like it's essentially the same three seats at the the party being put in through over and over again. I'm just taking a look at the nominees now. Yeah, I noticed a lot of Spider-Man, I noticed a lot of Red Dead, um, God of War is in there a lot, and, like, the other flip side of this is, all of these are, like, PlayStation games, which, I don't know, like, everybody keeps saying, like, console exclusives are dead, but I think they're doing pretty well, especially considering both God of War and Spider-Man are primarily single-player games. This is true. I think it's, I think you should never underestimate the lure of the familiar when it comes to fandom, uh, as I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, I do believe that the criteria for certain games should be the level of immersion and how it takes the medium further, uh, like you were saying. But, uh, you know, audiences tend to gravitate towards things that, you know, uh, ring a bell to them, uh, have a certain sense of familiarity, and I think the nostalgia bath of God of War and the chance to kind of revisit the 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 web slinging and me- mechanics of like Spider-Man 2, the PlayStation 2 game back in the day, might be uh, informing some of these, you know, uh, early nominee choices. So, do you think Red Dead Redemption deserves all of these awards cuz it's not only nominated for like game of the year and you know, best action game of the year, but it's also nominated for, you know, all of these technical awards like best sound design and art direction and all sorts of fun stuff. Oh, from a technical standpoint, absolutely. I mean, the game is a sequel, but so much of it has been advanced and pushed forward that, you know, if you didn't, if they had just released it as, you know, Outlaws for Life or something like that, if you did not know if you do not specifically see that Rocksteady logo, if you do not have that iconic poster imagery on the the cover of the game and just marketed it as an outlaw cowboy game, 
with no ties to Red Dead Redemption, you could file the serial numbers off as a technical achievement. I think it's, it stands pretty head and shoulders above most anything else out there because it is, it, it is just an absolutely breathtaking experience top to bottom. Dylan, uh, one thing I know you follow esports really, uh, really, really with an eagle eye, and as do I in certain aspects of it. Uh, do you have any comments on some of these esports categories? Because I noticed there was one in there where both Cloud9 and the London Spitfire were nominated for Best Esports Organization, but, like, they're the same organization? The So, yeah, the, the Best Esports team. The other irritating thing is rolling through the Best Esports teams is these are European and, and uh, North American teams. And then again, like, they are, if you go through them, they are denated by the, like... The, the game um, that they're playing. So, like, Astralis is CSGO, Cloud9 is League of Legends. But, again, I, I think it's a little weird to not put IG on here. Uh, just, I mean, they just won the League of Legends World Championship. They are an average age of 19, which is insane. Uh, I think Fnatic definitely deserves to be on here. Cloud9 does have, for League of Legends, has an amazing story this season. It is a little weird to have them and London Spitfire on here. I think London Spitfire is fine. And I and while I do say like European and, and North American teams, London Spitfire is almost entirely Korean. It, still a Cloud9 organization. It's, it's just very strange. It's... Um, there was a year that the cinematographer from Blade Runner 2049, he worked on two different movies, and both movies got nominated for Best Cinematographer, and so a different movie won because his votes were split between the two of them. And so I do worry a little bit here about the Cloud9 fans who have, have picked up all esports splitting their vote. But I still like it's so weird to me that I'm looking at Best Esports Team from 2018 versus Game of the Year. But maybe I'm just being nitpicky. But regardless, like, um, who do you what do, what do you think uh, about like London Spitfire? Do you think that they deserve it out of the Overwatch League? I think so. I mean, I'm biased. It's my favorite team, right? But like, I think I think they do because they started out real strong, had a really weak midseason, and then turned it around to win the Grand Champion. So, of course, you know, I think that's a good story. That's a great story for the first year of a league. But I don't know. And it's it's really weird. I want to go back to what you were saying about with, um, like, Game of the Year versus esports and how there's these weird, like, worlds colliding. And it's it when I read these awards lists, right – I'm reading it and I just look at it and I go, they didn't have an esports person on their board deciding any of this. It was just somebody who Googled like best esports teams and then picked the first five, right? Uh, yeah, I'll also say so the League of Legends World Championship is best esports event. The picture is from the World Championship like three or four years ago. Well, I mean, they this was announced, these, these nominations were announced before the event had taken place. So, of course, they're going to use stock photography from. You know, two or three years that's ago. Fair. That's like, fair. That's just the nature of running a live event, right? Timing is everything. Yeah. So um, I'm going to move on to our final segment. We're going to keep this one real quick because I know, Stacy, it's a little outside of your purview. But um, a minor league Overwatch team, Toronto Esports, which was actually Boston's minor league feed-in, 
um, no longer exists because their social media manager went ape on Twitter. Um, just, he started calling out, like, when the actual Toronto team got announced, he started calling them out, demanding a show match, like, oh, we're the real kings of Toronto, we've been here the entire time, blah, blah, blah. What do you think about, like, all of this weird blustering into the eventual downfall? So, while they went about it the very, very wrongest of ways, and I do think Toronto Esports looks ridiculous at this point, and the downfall is like well deserved there is a point to all of the foot stomping um just it it looks like a two-year-old temper tantrum but there is something a little bit bothersome about the and, and this is happening i think in a lot of esports as esports become more and more mainstream these esports clubs that were basically clubs in different cities that is kind of the the mainstay behind the fandoms anyway, because these are usually made up of your average player of whatever that is. And a couple of great players. Um, so these are fans. And so the fact that this is a very organized fan group is basically being shoved out of a thing that they were even competitive in at, at one point before overwatch league and before overwatch became what it is now in esports is is kind of sad and i think you're gonna see this negatively like there's gonna eventually we're gonna see backlash from the fans against overwatch league over this happening and that's really unfortunate and also just just don't have like temper tantrums on social media it's just not a good idea no not at all not at all thank you for weighing in on that um, I do want to say one more thing before we move on to our closing question for the evening. Um, there was this huge Overwatch League event that has been touted all week that uh, has been hashtagged as hashtag esports mystery. Um, it is going on right now as I speak at, in Denver, which is kind of cool. But um, I just want to say congratulations to Monte Cristo and Susie Kim on a wonderful wedding. Oh, that's adorable. I had no idea. That's so good. Yeah, no, they trolled everybody. They put out this hashtag and everybody's like, what is this huge event going on? And uh, they're getting married as we are recording this. Um, They are streaming it on Twitch if you would want to watch. But uh, we just want to say a big heartfelt congratulations to one of our favorite casters and one of our favorite managers as well. They're great. That's so good. That Man, that just makes me happy. Perfect. So we have a closing question. Stacy, as our lovely, lovely guest, I'm going to pitch this question to you first. And my question, if you could put one video game character into Smash Brothers, who would it be? Has to be a video game character. Cannot be a character who is in a movie that has a video game. Has to be a video game character. If you could put one video game character into Smash Brothers, who would it be? Okay. I have a question. Can it be a character who is in an animated series that is based on a video game? Yes, absolutely. As long as the game came first. Okay. He's not technically a video game character, but if I had my druthers... I have a runner-up. I have a backup, just in case. But I'm going to throw it out there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to age myself. I'm going to date myself with this answer. But I nominate... Captain N 
the Game Master. Oh, that's a good choice. That's a retro throwback, like and that. it's a Nintendo yeah, property. I like that a lot. What would his ultimate smash be? Uh, he gets to pause the character and then call in the cartoon version of Mother Brain from the uh, from the t- from the cartoon to essentially feed me Seymour him and bombard him with Metroids. Like <laughs> that's awesome. All right, uh, same question, Dylan. If you could put one video game character into Smash Brothers, who would it be? I was I was stuck. I have a tie uh, between my troll answer, which is Battletoads. Yes, and. and and my real answer, uh, which is Jack and Daxter. Oh, Jack and Daxter would be good. It would kind of have like that dual combo play of, you know, working together. Look, don't deny the Battletoads. The Battletoads are great. They're awesome. I would happily play one of those guys in Smash Brothers. That was my backup answer. <laughs> oh, really? Nice. Yeah, I actually, I was thinking Battletoads uh, also as like, you play all four of them at the same time. Oh. Um, or maybe like... Like two, like yeah, maybe an ice climbers sort of feel. I thought could be fun. Oh, that'd be badass. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. And then, of course, their final smash would be that stupid jet bike level, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh hell yeah! The the final punishment is you get to see your character's fighter trapped in that level, getting killed over and over again. <laughs> I think that would be fun. Yeah, yeah, I definitely. While the music plays, for sure. I take that. I take Jack and Dexter back. I'm sorry. Maybe the next next time. <laughs> Own it, man. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Uh, what, about, what about you, man? Um, I was really hoping that the leak was real. I I like the idea of Banjo Kazooie. It just has that like Nintendo charm to it. The the character design, the way they interact with each other. I think it would make a fun character. I can I can I ask a follow up question for the closing? We don't have to sure. answer it. Uh, or maybe maybe we tweet it. Uh, M-rated game character. <laughs> uh, Doom guy. Yeah, probably Doom guy for sure. Doom guy, Master Chief, Kratos. I could go on. And Scor- and Scorpion. Duke Nukem. Yeah, Duke would be good. I came here to kick ass and chew. What? What's that? A giant bubble gum? Yeah, see, Duke Nukem would be good too. Well, I hope you guys have enjoyed this segment of Not Enough Resources. Um, next week, though, if you did enjoy this, we will be doing our second game night. Uh, we will be playing Fortnite on December 5th. We're going to start at 5 p.m. Pacific. Um, and the best thing about Fortnite is Fortnite is available on literally every platform. You can play it on Android. You can play it on iOS. You can play it on PC, PS4, and everybody can play together. So um, be on the lookout for that. I'm going to have some articles on Rogue's Portal explaining some of the finer points of Fortnite, some of the fun you can have with Fortnite, and, of course, where to find us on December 5th to play with us. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And as always, remember, when you're playing games online, you're playing with other players, everybody's just trying to wind down and have a good night. So be kind to your fellow gamers.